Welcome to Charge the Wave, focused on entrepreneurs, executives, and icons who are giving it their all to build companies, cultures, and communities. Without further ado, here's our next episode. Charge the Wave is brought to you by Footnote 4. Footnote 4 dedicates Charge the Wave to the late Duke Kahanamoku from 1890 to 1968, the greatest waterman, pioneer, and American icon of our time, the diversity movement. Today's episode is brought to you by the DEI Navigator from the Diversity Movement. It's a familiar scenario. You've been hired to lead diversity, equity, and inclusion but you don't have the resources and network or maybe even a job description, let alone a strategic plan and a budget. You need help. That's why the diversity movement created DEI Navigator. This monthly subscription service is designed for small to mid-sized businesses that are committed to DEI action. DEI Navigator is everything you need all in one place. Access to our award-winning team of diversity advisors, expertly curated content, how-to guides, specialized training, courses, and workshops and a subscription to our micro-videos platform recognized by Fast Company Magazine as a 2022 world-changing idea. You get all these resources and more with DEI Navigator and all at a fraction of the cost of hiring a full-service DEI consultancy. Visit www.thediversitymovement.com footnote to learn more. Candle Cares. Candle Cares is a web tool that helps you be the light for others every night and helps your caregiving crew organize their tasks on a daily basis. Coming soon to Apple and Android. Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Co. Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Company is cold brewing the aloha spirit from soil to sip, waking up the wayfarers with its signature Hawaiian blends of coffee beans and roasting styles, including 100% Kona coffee. Be wherever you may, and whatever your next challenge, we're cold brewing our next batch of aloha spirit, from soil to sip, to help you charge the wave. Hi, uh, today's guest is Amanda Diambra, and we are going to jump right in. Amanda, congratulations on the launch and meaningful impact that Arise Health is having in the industry, uh, which we'll get to for sure. But wanted to start and take it back to the beginning, kind of learn about your origin, family, and childhood. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your, your beginnings and, and where you started? Of course, yeah. I um I grew up in Rhode Island, so the smallest smallest state in the country. Um, and funny enough, both of my parents are actually from Rhode Island as well, which meant that I grew up with a very large extended family that was all within fifteen minutes of each other. And um, so it was a lot of fun. We were a super tight knit family, um, which was really special in a lot of ways, and definitely formative to how I am now in a lot of ways, like the the kind of family orientation and um also having a large community of folks around you. I was lucky enough that for me, that was um, family. But I think um, as I as I think about how that's evolved over my life, it's really been that feeling of community and, and support surrounding you that's been really important. Uh, any uh, distinctive memories from, from your childhood or formative years? So many. There, there's so many. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning, um, looking at these questions, and um, they're just... I, I, 
again, I was so grateful that I had a wonderful childhood, but I was thinking about um, a couple of things in particular. One was kind of a bright spot moment. uh, And then one um, kind of germane to like how my career eventually took off in mental health. Um, But the first, the kind of brighter spot I was thinking on was um, when I was eight years old, I got my first Harry Potter book. And that just like unleashed this like, you know, whole fantasy world that I could just go into. And I um, I was a pretty shy kid. And, um, you know, there were there was something just so magical about that. And I loved reading. I loved like diving into these other worlds that I could just be immersed in. Um, and so that just took off like a huge kind of um tradition for me, actually, they always came out around my birthday. And so for years, I'd be like, no one talked to me for 24 hours. I'm reading this entire book. Um, And so that was that was a pretty magical moment getting the first one. Um, And then the second thing I was thinking out a lot was Actually, it was not not that dissimilar of a time. It might have been like the year before my um, family um, went on a trip to Disney World. I had two older sisters. They were five and 10 years older than me. And um, my parents wanted us to participate in some like Disney does these weird like, I don't know, parade things. And they like want kids to participate in them. And I had a complete and utter meltdown, which was probably the first of like 10 complete total meltdowns during that trip. And my parents were like, why is this happening? What is going on? And we really look back on that now and see that as the first time that we really understood that I had such high anxiety. Um, And OCD actually eventually kind of evolved from that. So it's such a like memorable moment in my mind because it was just so clear that I I had all this anxiety and fears and didn't want to engage in these things, um, which definitely, you know, we could get into this, but took shape over the course of my life from there. Definitely. And any other vivid memories you have from from growing up? Uh, Countless with my family. My mom's one of eight. My dad's one of four. Um, And so like just so many memories of family get togethers and all being together and a lot of uh, a lot of holiday memories and Fourth of July parties were always big for us. We did a big cookout. Uh, So a lot of good memories from just having family around. Any um, role models or mentors in particular? For sure, my parents, um, both of them um, in different ways and also in, in how they are together. Um, so my my mom growing up one of eight, her mom was actually a single mom and um, they grew up without a lot of money and um, you know taking care of eight kids. It's just, you know, single mom and also working two jobs like that, that's tough. And so um, my mom, part of what that led her to is being super independent and self-sufficient and also like, working so hard to get to where she is today. So um, she and my dad got together when they were like 19 and, um, you know, didn't have much to stand on. And they just worked so hard in raising us and making sure that we always had access to education and that we had so much support and love from them. Um, And the two of them, even like they hadn't gotten their college degrees. And so when I was a kid, they actually went back to school at nights when they were working full time and both of them got their college degrees. My mom went on to get a master's and like, they're all doing this while they're raising three kids. Like it was just extraordinary. And my mom continues to be such a hard worker in her career and just put so much of herself into it. And it's just this 
incredible human. Um, and they also are so deeply empathetic. And from my dad, I learned so much about altruism and putting other people first. Like I have this distinct memory of being in a grocery store and there was an elderly woman who, you know, was probably uh, lonely and struggling. And um, she's kind of fumbling with her coin purse and didn't have enough money for the groceries that she had. And so my dad just very subtly, like doesn't even, you know, it doesn't make a big fuss about it, but he just pays for her groceries and starts chit chatting with her. And just like, she's such a kind soul. And so that like combination of just like working so hard and, and being able to um, create so much for your family and um, is just amazing combined with just such deep empathy and kindness. Wow, that, thank you for sharing that. that. That's a wonderful story and, and memory. Uh, and before we transition to kind of the career or the entrepreneurship yeah. uh, section, how, how did you choose your uh, college, your university? Yeah. It's funny. So I went to George Washington University in DC. Um, definitely would not have been my first pick. However, I'm very grateful that I ended up making that decision because I went because I had a large academic scholarship. I was fortunate that I had that opportunity. Um, and that really, that really sealed the deal. It was where I had the largest scholarship. So it meant, you know, when I came out of school, I wasn't going to have to worry as much about uh, very large student debt that a lot of folks are, are unfortunately having to deal with. Um, but GW, GW is an interesting place. Um, I think I, I didn't quite find my, my, my kind of circle of, of people who, um, you know, that I carry forward there. Um, part of that was also I was really struggling with my mental health at the time. And so that comes into play. Um, so for me, actually, those years, the things that I loved were more about being in DC than they were about GW. Um, I studied journalism and politics, though DC was like center of it all. I got to intern at um, CBS and at CNN um, and work on the Hill. So just so much cool exposure to um, that realm of things and journalism in particular was a great love of mine. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And, um, and then I lived in DC for quite a few years after. So that was, that was home for quite a while for me. And, and we'll definitely double click on, on the mental health subject that, that you mentioned um, in terms of kicking off the section for the career and the entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. Reed Hoffman has a book, The Startup of You. I love it. He talks about um, treating your career as a startup hence mm. the title Startup love. of You. Mm -hmm. When you began your career, uh, I'd love to know kind of what your thoughts were, your perspective, how you wanted to embark on that journey, and then maybe um, describe a little bit about your path, um, your voyage from where you started post-college to today. Yeah, it's so funny because I think we, you obviously, you can't really see the path when you're on it. You can't see where it's taking you. And now I look back and I'm like, my gosh, it was like such a clear progression, like how full circle it ended up with the rise. Um, but at the time, it, it obviously does not look that linear. Um, it just comes with a winding road. Um, so I, coming out of school, as I mentioned, I studied journalism. Um, I, I loved storytelling. I loved hearing people's stories. I loved being able to understand like who they were and where they came from and why they did the things that they did. Um, and so that, that love, you know, I really got to funnel that into journalism. My favorite class in college was this feature writing class where we did these like really long in-depth interviews with different people in our lives and, and different people in the community. Um, and that, that was my like greatest, the greatest piece of it. I love, I also still love long form investigative journalism. Like, like, like we could talk about that all day long, but 
um, I, I thought because of that, that I was going to go into broadcast journalism. Uh, and so I, like I said, I had worked at CNN and CBS my senior year. I was like 3.30 in the morning going up to the CNN building on Capitol Hill, like, you know, doing a very different thing than a lot of college seniors were doing. Um, because I, work, I got to work on a, a political morning news shows, um, really cool experience. Um, and so I, you know, I had this kind of idea that one of the paths I could take was going into broadcast and I wanted to be on air. I wanted to, to um, be, you know, one, one of the folks who are actually like delivering stories. Um, I also did love the, the behind the scenes, like production work. Um, but at the same time, like at the at the time, there were kind of two paths to do that. One was like you could go the local news route and become, you know, some someone working in like you would end up in some random market in the country, which would be an interesting yeah. experience um, that I was not quite ready to do. So I just loved D.C. so much. Um, or you could kind of go, you know, being a producer and then work your way up um, at a place like CNN. Um, and honestly, part of there were two things that that made that path not happen. One was um, being able to sustain like living in DC on a junior entry position in, in uh, journalism is really, really difficult. Um, and so that was going to be a challenge for sure. Um, and unfortunate too, right? Because you know that, that becomes a challenge for a lot of people who want to enter that type of field. Uh, and the second thing that I kept getting stuck on is, and the the landscape of journalism has certainly shifted since then but um i was really stuck on this idea that i wanted to work on causes that matter and it was going to be very very difficult for me to not have a very strong opinion about things and so this idea you know at the time like journalism ethics you know you had to remain neutral and objective and um, and so i i was grappling with that and instead wanted to really take my career into like how do i work on the causes that really matter to me um and so i didn't know what that looked like yet and i joined uh, kind of a, a communications firm that's in the dc area and it just so happened and this again you don't see the path where when until you're yeah. you're farther down it. Um, but it just so happened that they did a lot of work um, in mental health, uh, particularly for veterans. So we were working on um, suicide prevention programs at all of the VA medical centers around the country and the National Veterans Crisis Line. Um, so it's a lot of work on how do we reach more folks with these resources? How do we um, build resonance with people so that they can see that they're not the only ones going through this? Uh, how do we how do we actually make these crisis resources more supportive? How do we rethink the way that um, suicide prevention services are actually delivered to folks? So it's just it was a fascinating. It was almost five years that I worked on that um, and just learned so much and and just loved actually working with veterans themselves and hearing their stories. Um, and at the same time was, you know, the pace of government is very slow. And, um, you know, you had, they were trying to shift towards better integration between behavioral uh, health care, mental health and suicide prevention and physical care. But it was like you literally had a doctor down the hallway from a suicide prevention coordinator and they weren't talking to each other. And so I really was eager to think differently about, like, where is a place that I can go that is going to shift some of this change faster? Uh, and so I, knowing absolutely nothing about the startup world and tech, um, having been in such different spaces in government and in DC, um, decided to kind of take a chance and um, and move up to New York because I, I got a role with a mental health startup. Um, and then it was just a totally different progression from there. 
And uh, did you want to mention some of the stops you had along the way before you uh, decided to start Arise? Yeah, of course. So it, it, it's so it's so funny. I remember um, being at that first co company, uh, Quartet. So they were bridging behavioral health care and, um, and primary care. So it's like a direct kind of path from the thing that I was seeing in government that was a gap. Um, and I just very quickly got deeply immersed in tech and loved it. I loved the creativity. I loved the, um, the the different ideas that you could you could move very quickly and you could take on these really challenging problems and think differently instead of um, kind of progressing in ways that had already been done. So there were things about it that I just absolutely loved. But I also remember one time um, one of uh, the leadership team members there had asked me like, where, where do you think you want to go? What is what is your career going to be over time? And I I was like, oh, I'll probably like end up, you know, going and running a nonprofit. Like, I think I'd want to go do that, but like still in mental health, but it would be a nonprofit. Um, and, and it's funny now that I think about that because um, I, that definitely just came out of like, I wanted to do good with my work. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that any path that I was taking was going to be like really impacting people's lives. And I wasn't, it wasn't so deeply in tech yet that I really understood like how digital health was, was fully shifting and, and the ways that we can impact change in that space. Um, but then as you do in, in startups, you get caught up in it. And, um, and so I ended up leaving Cortex. I had an opportunity to join city block health really early, um, which was just an, awesome experience. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, CityBlock is uh, delivering kind of an integrated primary care model for duly eligible Medicaid and Medicare beneficiaries, really focused on how do we impact change in lower income communities. Um, and so I had the opportunity to be a part of bringing that to different states. Um, again, the thing I most loved about that was working with um, both the care team members who came from the communities that we served, but also the, the folks who we were actually supporting. Um, just hearing the stories and what their lives were. And um, so it, it just continue again, it was always that human element that I really loved. Um, but at the same time, as I was at Quartet, I was at CityBlock, I was uh, deep in my own eating disorder again. So um, one of the things we didn't talk about from my childhood is that I, I had a pretty extensive um, bout with an eating disorder when I was about, starting when I was about 13, uh, after I had been diagnosed with OCD, um, I went into a partial hospitalization program when I was 14 and missed my first month of high school and then had ebbs and flows with anxiety and OCD and, um, and the eating disorder throughout my high school years. And then um, had a period in college where it was the eating disorder was less forefront. It was more depression, um, wasn't getting any help. And then, you know, I enter my 20s and I'm in startups and it just hit full force after a series of, you know, life stuff that happens. And, um, and so I was really deep in, in eating disorder during those years and, um, and depression comes alongside that and anxiety. Um, and so I, you know, I was trying to navigate that while also being in these digital health companies. Um, eventually, fortunately, during the years that I was at Brightline, so during the pandemic, um, I joined Brightline um, and really was got to be a part of building that company um, and bringing virtual mental health care to kids and teens, which was like one step towards the full circle for me because it was, you know, I had experienced it in my younger years. Um, and so, you know, I finally 
got into my own recovery, was getting into a good place. And, um, and, and again, this, you know, full circle to arise because I'd been in multiple different digital health companies. I'd done the early stage into growth thing. Um, and I just, the thing that kept sticking with me is like, there has to be something better in eating disorder care. Like there's so such a need. There's so many barriers and gaps that existed 20 years ago when I was first getting care. They're very much the same now. Um, and so I just wanted to be a part of like, is is there, I kept thinking like, is there something that we could do that would be different than what's out there today? Um, so like I said, you know, it's, it's a winding path, um, but eventually it kind of came full circle for me. Yeah, it's really um, interesting to hear the nexus of Arise. Did you want to talk about um, when you knew it was absolutely time to to form the team, you know, yeah. to form Storm and Norm and um, kind of the mission of Arise and of uh, would love to hear yeah, your vision yeah. for it. You know, I... It's funny, I, I don't think you ever feel fully prepared to go do something like this. Um, I think you have that moment of like, well, I'm feeling I'm feeling bold enough to go like figure this thing out. And like, now's the time. It's never going to be a good time. But like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling you feeling brave enough to go to it. Um, that moment for me was um, so it was late. Gosh, what what year was this? What year are we in 2023? So it was late. <laughs> it was late 2021. Um, I remember. So my my now fiance is also a founder and um, one of my best friends since high school who had been he he had been with me through even the first bout of the eating disorder when I was 14. Um, and so stood by me through all these years of it. Um, he is he is a VC, actually. And so the three of us were sitting here uh, at, at my kitchen table in, in our apartment. And, um, you know, I was I was just talking about like how frustrating it was that all these barriers still existed and, you know, how hard it was to find care and how, you know, who's likely to get care is like people who look more like me, which is really messed up. Um, and I was just like having this moment of just like such frustration. And the, the two of them are just like, just go start it. Like, just go start something. Like you, you have so much passion for this. You know, there's a need in the space. Like, why don't you just go start it? And I didn't think until that moment. And I, this is still, you know, again, you're never fully prepared. Um, I, but I didn't think in that moment I was really ready to go do it. But I started to think about. It. I started to talk to. Um, I, I knew I wanted a um, co-founder who was going to be more of like the product and technology side. So I started talking to engineers and product folks that had worked with previously in the mental health space, getting a sense for like, is there someone who might want to tackle this with me? And I cold outreached Joan Zong, who is my co-founder at Arise on LinkedIn. And she answered me within like an hour. We had never met. She, she I just saw she was working at, um, at Headspace Health at the time as a product leader. And she was on the board of Project Heal, which is an eating disorder nonprofit. So I was like, she probably has some lived experience with an eating disorder. I bet she gets it. So we had a first conversation and it was just like instant. It was just like we she was already thinking of starting something in the space. Um, we we both it was just very clear how much values alignment that we had right away. And so we started kind of working on it nights and weekends. We would do like Sunday jams at like 4 p.m. And, and she's in Houston and I'm in New York. So we were wow. like doing this virtually and yeah. um and and like three weeks in i was like i'm leaving i'm leaving my job um we've got to do this thing like we have something really interesting here and like i can't imagine doing this with anybody but you um 
and so left my job a few weeks later and um and then we just started building and so it's been it's been only a, a little over a year since we met so it's been a very fast journey wow i i for one just seeing it from the outside have been uber inspired about the team you're putting together the focus the intentionality on diversity equity inclusion mm -hmm. um is there anything in particular you look for when hiring or forming a team of colleagues and, and peers yeah uh values alignment for sure is is kind of foundational for us especially when you're doing this type of work so to, to ask back to your question on the mission of arise so really what we're focused on is providing comprehensive and inclusive care for eating disorders and the mental health conditions that come alongside eating disorders um and so necessarily doing this really serious like complicated work you need folks who are really going to be aligned with you on core values and of course you know that for us really means um well i'll just tell you what our three values are for the company so it's listen to lead and um, so really um for joe and i it was always you know we don't do top-down leadership it's very much like you know we're listening to understand we're listening um to our team and to our members and like leading from that place of really seeking to learn um so that was really important to us um all bodies have value is another of our ours. so um you know the broader point there is really um being so open and understanding of different perspectives and backgrounds and experiences and identities and so diversity being a really core part of um how we build the team but also how we show up for each other in 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 a way that's very inclusive was really important for us um and and you know i think it also came down to like when we think about those who are going to be ultimately to start up you're building a business um sustainable growth was really important to us so making sure that we're we're really prioritizing the member experience and the provider experience and not just going as fast as we possibly can because these are people's lives and these are really serious conditions that we're talking about and working with um so you know that that certainly is is it um the other two things that I, I will say that i always kind of look for are humility and empathy um, so we we've been very lucky that um, we've just brought together this incredible team that is so humble, so deeply empathetic, uh, also really hilarious. Like levity is so important when you are you're dealing with these really complex issues and um, the levity on our team, like just the senses of humor have been really wonderful. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much more. I, I think about this stuff so much. Um, so there's much more we could talk about here, but those are some of the big things. And I think you mentioned payers and providers and patients or members. Yes. Uh, from a health plan perspective, uh, could, if I was a health plan and I'm saying, oh, in terms of prioritization, eating disorders, disordered eating may seem smaller in numbers. What, yeah. what would you say to that health plan? Oh, gosh, I wish that were not the case. And I hope that Arise can be a part of shedding light on on the reality of how many people are, are struggling with this. Um, so just to give you a sense, um, it's estimated that about um, about 30 million Americans in their lifetime are going to have an eating disorder. It's about 9% of the global population that we believe is severely underrepresentative of how many people are actually experiencing this and you know that basically comes down to five million americans a year so that's even people who are like this is a known like likely diagnosable level of need never mind the many many more people who are dealing with disordered eating that could very well become a full-blown eating disorder because it's most often going to go untreated 
Um, and so of those people, only 10 to 20% of, of them are going to get into care. And that is not, this is not the type of condition where it's like, okay, well, if you don't get care, like, fine. It's, you know, you deal with it. Um, it, it's really serious. Um, this is the second deadliest behavioral health condition after opioid addiction. Like people die from this every single day, every single hour, someone dies directly as a result of an eating disorder. Um, and that is, that is not just the stereotypical kind of, you know, thin white young woman experiencing anorexia. Um, there are many types of eating disorders and they show up differently for different people of, you know, if you have a different race or ethnicity, um, or, you know, if you live in a larger body, like this can show up in different ways. And it's going to be much less likely that that is recognized. And uh, never mind that you're going to have access to care. So um, this is, this is real, and it affects a lot of people. And, um, you know, when it comes to the payer understanding of that, Part of this is really understanding what eating disorders are, which is very complex behavioral and medical conditions. Um, and understanding too, like one of the things that we always talk about with them is if somebody is experiencing an untreated eating disorder, it's likely that person is going to have spikes on spend in behavioral health and medical needs otherwise, because you have, uh, I'll just give you a personal example. The number of times that I went to a GI doctor because I was having stomach issues and they would just look at me and be like, you have an eating disorder. Bye. Like, like literally do nothing. But I was going to all these, you know, I would do all these procedures, to like try and figure out what was wrong. And I went to all these GI doctors. So like, that's a serious medical spike that was completely unnecessary if I had actually had care for an eating disorder. So, you know, there's intersection with chronic conditions. There's intersection with anxiety and depression, which obviously is correlated with, with higher behavioral health spend. So um, when you look at the whole person, really, you know, it's important that we not just ignore the eating disorder. Um, and that's not just for people who are going to escalate up to the highest level of inpatient where it's going to be, you know, $80,000 or more to care for that individual. But it's also for those who like me for, you know, five, 10 years are going to live with an eating disorder and, and, you know, all this medical stuff is going to come up and like, we're not actually addressing the reason why that is coming up. Uh, and before we go to break and, and take a moment a beat for ads, is, is there anything you wish you had known when you started this entrepreneurship voyage? Um, it's been within you know the last year, but in your percolating in your mind for some time. Yeah. It's funny, I, I've been thinking about um this over the past day. Um we actually had a had a board meeting yesterday, and so you think a lot about these types of things, but um I don't think this is necessarily unexpected, but it becomes very clear is you constantly feel like you're behind and could be doing more. And it's really, really hard to remember and celebrate how far you've come. Uh, like Joan and I met, like I said, last December. And um, so it's been only a little over a year. We didn't even incorporate the company until last March. So it's been, you know, less than a year. And we have built a team we've been able to launch in our first market in Texas. We're actually seeing members now and they're getting better. And it's it's really, really um, hard to look at it that way when you're constantly worrying about like all the things you need to do ahead and all the challenges and all the problems and all the things that you need to, to tackle on the day to day. Um, and so I, I wish that I had um, known at the beginning how hard that felt and how it, how hard it felt to actually just like remember how how far you've come 
I think as a you know investor, advisor, entrepreneur, we often talk about kind of cash runway, mm-hmm. financial runway, um, but but we don't necessarily monitor the emo- emotional runway. Yeah, um, absolutely. That the gas you have in the tank to keep going, mm-hmm. uh, a series of sprints or, or a truly marathon uh, of, yeah. of, of, of the voyage. Um, so with that, let me uh, let, let us take a, a beat for, for the ads and we'll return to close out the show. Great. Charge the Wave is brought to you by the Diversity Movement. The Diversity Movement DEI Navigator is everything you need all in one place. You get access to a host of resources with DEI Navigator and all at a fraction of the cost of hiring a full-service DEI consultancy. Visit www.thediversitymovement.com slash footnote to learn more. Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Co. Be wherever you may and whatever your next challenge, Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Company is cold brewing our next batch of Aloha Spirit from soil to sip to help you charge the wave. Hi, welcome back. We're going to jump in to the advice component of this podcast episode. Uh, Amanda, is there one piece of advice you have for fellow founders? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> have people around you who who get it. Um, you know, for me, one of the biggest sources of support actually has been my fiance because he's also a founder. And there, you know, as much as there are, um, you know, other folks like my family who um, are so supportive and encouraging, it's also just so different when people actually have been through it and they get it and they understand like what it is to be an entrepreneur and how hard it feels. And um, it, it's very lonely without having that. So my my I think biggest piece of advice is like surround yourself with other people who get it. So you know other founders, um, you know, and and that I think. There's, there's so much that um, translates to how I think about community anyway, right? Like even with Arise, like oh, there's a part of our model that is um, deeply oriented towards community because we, we know that that connection with people who actually understand what you're going through is just so important. So, so that would be my number one thing is find your founder friends and like lean into the levity with them. Um, any tips for those who are currently feeling stuck or, or looking for a new opportunity? Uh, given recent news, we've seen mass layoffs at FANG and in the digital health sectors. Um, but even if someone was still at their company and just feeling stuck. Yeah, gosh, I feel that so much. And I, I just sending so much care to those folks because um, I know it's affected so many people in recent months. Um, that feeling of being stuck you know, I, I, this is this is so easier said than done. Um, but I, I think for those that are feeling stuck, but there is some some inkling of you know what you wish you could do or what you want to do. Um, if you are able to, I will say, of course, like there are so many folks who don't have the resources to be able to do this. And this is this is not an easy thing to just up and leave a job and take on something new and take a risk. Like a lot of people are not able to do that. But if you are able to do that and you can take that risk. I would go for it because there's never, you know, it's much like a lot of things in life. Um, there's never a perfect time. There's never a good time. Um, and so sometimes you just need to just take the leap. And you're, you're currently, I mean, in the trenches, in the tall grass, you're, you're, you're fighting every day um, in, in this startup journey. Are, are there any mental models, any frameworks, any successful traits? Uh, you know, you're working with uh, very sophisticated investors that you've noticed 
uh, of other successful founders or that have helped you and Joanne um, navigate the choppy waters? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't tend to usually like like archetypes or like that. Um, Joan and I really felt like it was important for us to be ourselves and not try and be like some version of like other founders that we have seen. Um, and that actually has felt like a really important anchoring for Arise in our company because there's so much that we actually wanted to be different here. Um, and so I, I would actually say that like being ourselves fully and showing up with open, um, with honesty, with transparency, with leading with empathy and kindness, like those are not necessarily the traits that a lot of founders are talking about, but it feels really true to us. And so therefore it's felt really true to the team that we are building. So the biggest thing that I would actually say is rather than trying to be someone else, like actually find the things that feel really centered and, and grounding for you and, and, and embrace those things. Um, and, and I'll say too, like I've seen, other, I, I used to do like PR and communications, right? So I would like do these like CEO archetypes with like other other founders and, and execs. And like, it's not a comfortable place to be, like you have to be yourself. And that um, that centering, I think also helps a lot when your team wants to see transparency and really understand you. Um, actually not trying to be something else is helpful. And I have a host more questions, but let me ask one more before we jump kind of to the lightning round. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Uh, either, what are some uh, particular tools um, that y'all are using to deal with, you know, rough waters or, or weathering the storm or wreckages or, or um, any particular advice you have for someone thinking of joining a startup uh, this quarter, yeah, uh, maybe from a stable career or from a big org? Yeah. So to the first one, um, I'll say to, to anyone who's, who is a founder and is considering being a founder, um, things are going to go wrong. It is inevitable. And, and like, it is also inevitable that that happens one after another and very quickly. And you're like constantly, you know, feel like you're problem solving and, and dealing with messiness. Um, I think Joan and I have found that it is that like sense of humor about it and levity and like, Again, and I know I've talked a lot about levity, but those two things are so important to me, the levity and connection. So like my co-founder relationship with Joan, like I have no, I, I, I would not be able to do this without her. Um, the, the amount of trust that we have in one another and the willingness to be so open and problem solve together and just figure things out as they come, having a partner in that, having somebody who can really like just figure that out with you just feel so much less lonely. Um, and that levity just, it really does help. Like we, we do these like open team hangs every other Friday with our team. Part of the reason for that is because like, we want everybody to be able to come together and like have, you know, connection that is not just like doing all the startup things we're doing all the time. But for Joda and me, that's actually like, it gives us the time to like, okay, this week has been like this week in particular has been nuts. And, you know, at 1 p.m. today, I get to go see my team who's going to make me laugh. And like those moments are just really, really needed when you're when you're in this. Um, and for those that are considering joining a startup, um, I would actually say be like really uh, thoughtful about the questions that you ask of that startup in an interview process, um, because there are a lot of startups that are just going to like grow, grow, grow and go really fast and um, culture. Culture is oftentimes like something that is talked about that is very 
it's easy to talk about it and be surface level. We need to actually ask some questions to understand like how do they actually approach this? And so I think getting to know different people and not just leadership level at a company can be really helpful to to get to that. I recently listened to a podcast that said like the three keys to happiness were kind of the quality of your relationships, mm -hmm. the sense of purpose and meaning. Yes. And the third is novelty and experience. And I really think about the quality of relationships when you're yes. spending 16 hours a day with, with your uh, co-workers in the startup and the sort of Damocles is hanging over you and you're trying to untangle the Gordian knot. And I, I love that you bring up levity over and over and over again and, and connection. I, I have seen time and time again, and I think as people will witness a pattern of these episodes that people talk about, the relationships, the culture, the levity, yeah. and, and, and that's wonderful to hear. And, and with that, I'm going to jump to the lightning round, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, my my favorite caffeinated beverage is Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Company. Uh, this is their endless summer blend. Uh, I love it. It's like a very, very strong cold brew. Do you have a specific caffeinated beverage that you go to on those long days, long nights? Every, every day. I have two. So you know, I've got my cappuccino right here. We're very lucky that we have a great coffee shop in downstairs, um, the benefits of living in New York City. Um, and then in the afternoon for me, there's also a cold brew. Um, it's Grady's, which is a New Orleans style cold brew. So it has chicory in it. And it's pretty, it's like very chocolatey, um, made locally here in, in the Bronx in New York. Oh, wow. And what's the coffee shop uh, downstairs? Let's give them a shout out. Oh, yeah, it's Le Cafe. It's a, a little local mini chain in New York. Oh, nice. Uh, any favorite local restaurant that you would recommend if someone was visiting town for 24 hours? Oh my gosh, I this is a really bad answer because with with the pandemic plus a rise, like me going out to restaurants has been very rare these days. Um, so I'm just gonna shout out all the really great little local like hole in the wall pizza shops and bagel joints in New York because those are yeah. the things that we're most often going to. <laughs> Any uh, favorite hobbies, things you do in your downtime when you're not just on the grind? I, so reading a lot of news, a lot, a lot, a lot of New York Times, a um, lot of, lot of news podcasts. Um, music is a huge thing in our household. Um, my, my partner is uh, also a musician on the side from being a founder, and so we listen to a lot of different things in this house. And he's always playing music, um, so that, that's part of it too. Um, and just family time, which for me has always been really point, important. But we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews, so spending a lot of time with them these days. Um, dream concert? Oh my gosh, this makes me so sad because I haven't gone to a concert since like 2019 and I miss live music so much. Um, oh gosh. I mean, I wish I could see the Beatles in, in real life, but that will never happen. Um, one of my favorite bands since college was the Arctic Monkeys, and I actually got to go to my dream concert because I saw them live after like 10 years of loving them um, a few years back, which was really cool. Wow, that's that's Fantastic. Uh, any favorite sports teams, musicals, or shows that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, we've been going to the Knicks a lot. So uh, my family's not happy about that because they're all Celtics fans, but loving the Knicks these days. <laughs> um, best vacation spot? Oh, gosh. I need to go on a vacation. Um, I will say um, Fire Island, which is a small um, island in New York um, where we spend time in the summers. It's really peaceful. There's no cars. It's a special little place. Uh, dog or cat? Dog, for sure. Uh, if you could, uh, shout out to Tim Ferriss, if you could put any advice on a billboard outside a college or university, 
um, anything you'd put on that billboard? Be yourself. I've spent so many years in my 20s trying to be what I thought I needed to be and not just being myself. And I'm so much more comfortable and happy now that I actually feel like I'm who I actually am. Any other life models or slogans that you kind of think about every day or, or weekly? Hmm. Um, I think um, really leaning into like just leaning into your people. So like your, whoever that is for you, your friends, your family, your chosen family, um, as you said, like quality of relationships. Um, I think life is so fleeting and, um, the time that we spend with the people that we love is so important and special. So, um, I would say, you know, lean into, to people. Yeah. I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes. I think it's when a river runs through it. It's like the candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. Um, yes. But to all my foes and all my friends, it casts a lovely light. Um, that temporal feeling, that fleeting feeling. Yes. Uh, anything on your bucket list? Do you have a bucket list? Uh, uh, for a lot of people, it would be to start a company. And so I think <laughs> in one of those ways, you're scratching out that. But is there anything else? You know, I don't really, I never had a bucket list because, um, you know, I've, I've learned that like setting such high expectations for myself, like has, is not something that works very well for me. Um, so even like starting a company, like was less, like, I want to start a company and was like, I, I need to like do something about eating disorders, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know if I immediately have an answer for that. I mean, I'd love to like sing on stage at a rock band, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> Uh, any parting words or closing words you'd like to share with our audience before we close? Yeah, I, um, you know, I would just say, you know, those uh, who are either considering being or are in immersed in startups, whether that's, you know, as a founder or as somebody who's joined a startup because you believe so strongly in the mission, um, I would just remember to take moments to actually celebrate the wins and really like be present in where you are right now. because it's so easy to get caught up in all you need to do and all that's ahead. And so really celebrating the wins in the moment is something that I'm trying to be better at. And so um, that that would be my parting words for, for everyone right now. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We look forward to following your successes on the horizon. I'm sure there's many to come in the new future and in and, and, and time horizon two and three as well. Uh, for everyone else, uh, till the next time, um, hope you all charge the wave. Thanks so much, Ty. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Charge the Wave, focused on entrepreneurs, executives, and icons who are assiduously building companies, cultures, and communities. Till next time, Charge the Wave. Charge the Wave is brought to you by Footnote 4. Footnote 4 has had a front row seat to many recent successes in the last several years, both advising and consulting for incredible individuals and teams who have risen above their stations by building high-performance crews and cultures, and carving their own paths throughout various industries along the way. Footnote 4 dedicates Charge the Wave to the late Duke Kahanamoku from 1890 to 1968 the greatest waterman, pioneer, and American icon of our time. The Diversity Movement. 
The Diversity Movement's DEI Navigator is everything you need all in one place. You get access to a host of resources with DEI Navigator and all at a fraction of the cost of hiring a full-service DEI consultancy. Visit www.thediversitymovement.com footnote to learn more. Candle Cares. Candle Cares is an online tool that helps caretakers take care. Nowadays, caregiving has become a full-time job for one's parents, children, fur babies, and ohana. Candle Cares helps you manage your caregiver crew, loved ones who need care, and everyday tasks. A single candle can light many other candles without losing its own light. Candle Cares helps you be the light for others every night and helps your caregiving team organize their tasks on a daily basis. Coming soon to Apple and Android. Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Co. Outrigger Cold Brew Coffee Company is cold brewing the aloha spirit from soil to sip. Waking up the wayfarers with its signature Hawaiian blends of coffee beans and roasting styles including 100% Kona coffee. As Mark Twain famously proclaimed in his letter from Hawaii, Kona coffee has a richer flavor than any other, be it grown where it may and call it by what name you please. Be wherever you may and whatever your next challenge, we're cold brewing our next batch of Aloha spirit from soil to sip to help you charge the wave.